Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Yeah, come on. Well, hey, let's give it up for our amazing pastor, Pastor Derek. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Man, I, I was having flashbacks when Riley did that, something fell out, and uh, you guys weren't here this week to experience this, but uh, a few months ago, Riley did a really cool celebration. Riley uh, is not ever going to say this, but he is an incredible youth pastor, does an incredible job with our youth, and they had a big night of celebration about a month and a half ago where they launched confetti cannons in here, and uh, so we were cleaning out the, the sanctuary this, this weekend, and he blew off the projector and literally like 40 pieces of confetti started to rain down out of the sky. And it was, it was awesome. It was the epitome of who Riley is. But uh, as he said, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here. And uh, I have been looking forward to this moment for literal weeks. Uh, I know sometimes when you come to church, you hear, oh, we're so glad to have you. But uh, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, truly, this is a, this is a gift. Uh, because Christmas is one of my favorite days of the entire year. And the fact that I get to celebrate it with all of you, whether you're first timers or whether you're a regular here, I'm so glad that you are here. But uh, you guys are the second service. All right, and so you are the night owls, if you will. You are the people that you come ready with passion. You come ready with excitement. You're ready to like just kick the first service out of here with excitement. So can I expect that from this service? That is what I am talking about. If you're watching back for service people, we love you. No, no shame, but this group knows what's up. They are awesome. Do I have any people in this room that have Christmas traditions? Every single Christmas, you have traditions. Okay, a lot of you, fantastic. For some of us, uh, you have that Christmas movie tradition where every single Christmas, you watch that one movie that gets you in the Christmas spirit. It might be It's a Wonderful Life. Personally, I enjoy watching those sad dog commercials more because it kind of is the same vibe that you get with A Wonderful Life, but still a good movie. You also have A Christmas Story. You have Elf. You have what I think is the best, Home Alone. Do I have any Home Alone fans in here? Okay. I love it. I love it. You have that movie that just like, this is the Christmas movie. Other people for traditions, you have the matching Christmas pajamas where your mom or your grandmother on December 1st, the first thing they do when they open their eyes and grab their cup of coffee is run to Amazon. And we are going to order matching pajamas and they will be here. And yes, they will be the wrong size. Yes, they will not be comfortable. Yes, they will look weird. But you know what? By golly, we're going to match. And when we get that picture, it is going to be awesome. We're going to put it on Instagram. We're all smiling, even though the kids before that, you had to tackle them into taking it. It's going to be a beautiful Christmas, right? We got our traditions. Other people are into Christmas uh, gingerbread houses. Anyone do finding the Christmas pickle on the, on the ornament on the tree? A few people, okay? Some of you guys are like, what the heck is that? It's, it's interesting. But in the mom household, we also have some traditions. The first tradition is the sun is well away from rising in the sky before we are up. Our tradition is we are up well before the sun. And you might be thinking, man, he is dedicated. 
No, I have two alarm clocks that are five and two. And the moment their little eyes flicker open, it's go time. Whether it's 4.30 or 5, it doesn't matter. Let's go. Let's jump on in. And so they wake us up. We grab coffee. We grab cinnamon rolls. We watch my wife's favorite Christmas animated movie from when she was a kid. And the day begins. And at the end of the day, after the kids go to bed, we sit down to a fine, eloquent, just divine spread of Chinese takeout. There is something about a cream cheese wonton, sweet and sour chicken, and fried rice on Christmas Day. It just tastes that much better. And if you've never done it, it will change your life. So do it this Christmas. It is a tradition in the mom household. But there is one tradition that we started about three years ago after our daughter uh, Parker was born. Maybe it was two years ago. I can't math. It's uh, the peril of having young kids. But whatever, when that first Christmas she was here, we started a tradition of where we sat down as a family, just my wife and I and our two kids and the golden retriever, and we sit down and I get to read the Christmas story. The story of how Jesus came to earth, was born in Bethlehem, and the whole thing. And it's one of my things that I truly cherish more than anything else. And I've really, really loved it. So tonight, that's what I want to do with us as a church. You may have heard the Christmas story before. You may have heard it many times before. Maybe you've never heard it or anywhere in between. But regardless, I'm going to take us through the Christmas story, not just because that's what you do on Christmas, not just because it's a historical narrative, but I want to read us the Christmas story because I truly believe the Christmas story is what defines so much of our life inside and out here and now. So if you want to follow along with me, the scripture is going to be on the screen behind me, but we're going to pick up in Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. There's a lot to this beginning part, but Nazareth is the town we pick up in. Nazareth is small. Nazareth is not very populated. Not a whole lot of prevalence and prominence come out of Nazareth. By all accounts, Nazareth is that town you just kind of look over. There's not a whole lot of stuff in there. But in this one town, you have a young woman named Mary. And from culture, we know that she is pledged to be married to Joseph. She's engaged to be married. But culturally, you got married between the ages of 13 and 18. And as someone who has a young daughter, she's not getting married at 13. I'll tell you that right now. I'm glad sometimes things change. But think about that for a second. Even if you take the conservative part of that, if Mary was 16 years old, she's pledged to be married. She's thinking about arrangements. She's thinking about the flower color palette. Is it going to match the bridesmaid dresses? Is that crazy uncle going to show up? I don't know. But she's thinking about all these different things about her upcoming marriage when all of a sudden an angel comes down into her bedroom and says, greetings, the Lord is with you. He goes on to say in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. That's good. Because I'll tell you right now, even as a pastor, if I'm just minding my own business, brushing my teeth, and an angel comes into my bedroom, going to be a little freaked out. 
Like, why are you here? What's going on? What's happening? So he says, she says, or the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. You skip one more verse ahead, and the logical question is, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Think about that a lot, okay? Because I know sometimes when you hear this story a lot, you kind of just get desensitized to it. But think about being 16 years old and an angel just told you, good news, you're pregnant. The logic, she's going like, uh, how will this be? Because, you know, Joseph and I, we're not quite married yet, so we haven't quite, you know, uh, how is this all going to work? The logical questions start to bombard her. But here's what I love about the heart of Mary. When she says this in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What Mary's essentially saying is, I don't know how this is going to be, but I am the Lord's servant. I love the Lord. I believe. So whatever it is that you have for me, I'll do it. Just think, 16 years old, this crazy, crazy moment you have that is defining, it's powerful, it's crazy, but at the same time, you have this heart of going, I know this is an angel from God, and I know in the God I serve. So whatever he has for me, I will do it. Then the angel left her, and I can only imagine just the silence of that room, right? You just had this powerful experience and all of a sudden the angel leaves and you're just in your dark room by yourself. All is quiet where you could hear a pin drop. I can imagine just the heart racing as you come come to grips with what just happened, what it meant, what the nine months of your life are going to look like. I can only imagine the emotion ranging from I am so honored, blessed, and excited. This is awesome. The Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, they've been waiting for generations. He's coming. This is incredible. Mixed with the I'm going to be a mom. I'm pregnant. This This is wild with the son of God. No pressure. Wow, this is insane. But yet this experience she has is undeniable. Unfortunately, her fiance didn't take it so well. Uh, When she shows up the next day and says, Joseph, we got to talk. I'm pregnant. Okay, with who? See, here's the thing. Um, It's God's son. Okay, last night I had this, this angel came and spoke to me, and, and this is what happened, and, you know, it's the son of the most high, and I don't know how that whole conversation went down, but Matthew 1.19 says, Joseph made up in his mind that he was going to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph's going, he's the analytical one, he's the cerebral one, going, I, I just, I love you, I believe you, but at the same time, I can't wrap my head around this whole thing, like, like, you are pregnant with the son of God? What? That just doesn't make sense. And in this day and age, if you were pregnant out of wedlock, there was a lot of shame that got attached to you. You were ostracized. You were cast aside. There was a lot to this. But because he loved Mary, he was going to just say, you know what? 
we'll just go our separate ways quietly. Because I love you. I don't want you to have any extra attention, but I can't do this. But fortunately, God had a plan. Because that night as he goes to bed, as he tries to, you know, just, just sleep and just kind of come to a clear mind of all the stuff that comes with it, we read this in Matthew 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 20. But after he had considered this, this being the plan to divorce her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He's heard this before. Mary's told him this before. This is like, oh, okay. So she was telling the truth. This is the Son of God. This is God's plan. Okay. And in that moment, I can only imagine what he started to process. But what I do know is that these two kids, for all intents and purposes, kids that are probably younger than 2021, are being trusted with the Son of God. They're pledged to be married, but beyond that, they have no parental experience. They have no preparation. This came out of nowhere. No pressure. Wouldn't that be a wild ride? Wouldn't that be like, a wow, that is a lot of information in one day. You had your plan. This is what we were going to do. And all of a sudden, everything changes. And does that sound familiar? I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, I'm a planner. I like to have things my way. So when I have my plan and it's like, oh, yes, it's going super, super well. And all of a sudden, you have to take a right turn. It's not super easy, is it? But the cool thing is, is God in his infinite wisdom knows exactly how to get our attention. Because these kids were young. They were inexperienced. They couldn't have done this alone. And God knew that. So he started to put people in their place strategically to help them with this moment. How do I know that? Because at the same time this is all going on, there are some magi in the east. And if you're not familiar with the Magi, Magi are basically scientists of old. They're astronomers. They're good at looking into the sky, studying constellations. What do they mean? They spend their life thinking, intellectually studying all these different things. And I know this to be true because in Matthew 2, we read this. After Jesus was born, so this is much later now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Here's the cool thing. If you want some light reading, I found an article from NASA that's over 390 pages long this week. If you're looking for a really dry read, I would love to refer it to you. It's long. It's intellectual. There are words in there I didn't know were in the human language. But what's really cool about this article is when they, they confirmed with ancient Chinese records, compared it to scripture from 7 BC to 5 BC, there were three recorded astronomical events, two of which were planetary, one of which, the last of which, was a magical appearance of a star. A star that was not there before is there now. And that star they deemed the star of Bethlehem. The star that was supposed to rise into the sky 
when the Messiah is born. And here's what I love about that appearance. Magi, astronomers know that. They've studied that before. So when they saw that star rise into the sky, they immediately got on the move. We have to go meet this Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is going to be awesome. So they see a star in the sky, and they start to follow it. But they got there after Jesus was born. It must have been a really long walk, or they were slow. But it was a long, long walk, hundreds and hundreds of miles, because they got there after Jesus was born, after two parents that will, be, will be soon be having their child would need him. Because what happens before they get there in Luke 2, we read this. While they, they being Mary and Joseph, were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there were no guest rooms available for them. These parents, if this wild ride wasn't enough already, now they're off in a land that's not their own. They're not with family. They're not with friends. They don't have their entourage, their support around them. Yet here they are, and the time is coming for the baby to be here. First-time parents, you know this all too well. You plan like months in advance. You have your go bag ready in the first semester, trimester, whatever time it is. You're ready. But when, when, this, when this baby comes, it's like, where's the bag? Where's the keys? Where's the wife? Get in the car. Here we go. We got to get this thing done. And the same thing is happening here in Bethlehem. They're going from place to place trying to find a room for them to go through this. And they can't find one. So they have to settle for a makeshift stable, which is probably like a cave. By themselves. No hospital. No medical professionals. No epidural. And here they are, brand new parents, teenagers, bringing in a baby by themselves. A baby that we know as Jesus. And Luke tells us that as that's going on, some shepherd boys are off in the field, sleeping, doing whatever they do. Shepherd boys are like 16-year-old boys. They don't sleep a whole lot kind of roam around, smell. Shepherd boys are off in the thing, and all of a sudden, an angel comes to them and says, guys, the Messiah is here, and they rush off, and they go to them. It's a wonderful moment there in the stable, and they have a wonderful night, and the scripture says that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. Beautiful. Her baby is healthy. They made it through Child rearing at that day and age was risky business, as you might imagine. So they made it through. She's filled with that joy of being a new incoming mother. Life is good. There's one last chapter to the story. One that I think is very profound for us here and now. And we read this in Matthew 2. And the star, remember the star, they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
picture this. You have magi. Magi are distinguished. Magi are smart. Magi are sometimes wealthy, but they're very, very prominent. They have influence. They are the smart people that carry themselves as such. They come to a house with two parents that are probably sleep-deprived, raccoon eyes underneath, with a new baby. And they walk in, and they meet this baby. And what do they do? They bow down. To bow down was a symbol of giving honor to a king, somebody that's above you, somebody that's more important than you. And so you have people that are very, very influential, people that are very sophisticated, bowing down to a baby because they knew this would not just be a king, but the king, the king of kings, the king that would rule forever. And they bow down and worship him. The heart of the Christmas story is not about the characters. We can look at how awesome and special Mary is for saying yes to a, a massive task. We can give props and honor to the Magi who traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles to get to that moment. We can talk about their dedication. We can talk about how awesome they are. But the heart of the Christmas story has far less to do with the characters and far more to do with the underlying theme of the whole thing. And that theme is belief. They had to believe. See, God met each of them in their own unique way. They each had a really big task to play. Mary had to be a new mom. That's scary. Joseph had to defy what his head was saying, defy what his heart was telling him, and believe the fact that this is all real and not just some crazy dream. The Magi had to travel. The shepherds had to, to set aside what they thought. But regardless of what character you choose, the common theme with all of them is they stepped into God's plan for them after God met them. God met them exactly where they were in a way that was undeniable, unquestioned, a way in which they could come to grips with the fact that, aha, God, you are real. I see you and I believe what you say. I believe. I believe you. I believe what you say. I do believe. And despite what it looks like, I choose to believe. Despite what it means for me, I believe. Despite what I think, despite what might come in the future, I choose to act in response to my belief. I believe. And I believe because you met me exactly where I was. So here's the thing about belief. Belief is powerful. Belief is really, really powerful. Because what you believe impacts how you act. What you believe about yourself dictates how you carry yourself. What you believe about who you are matters how you perceive yourself, how you carry yourself, all these different things. And what you believe about somebody else is true as well. If you believe somebody's a good person and you believe in them, you believe they're awesome, you will treat them as such. But isn't the opposite true? When you believe that that person is crooked, that person is vile, that person is not a good human being, how do we treat them? Usually not the same way as when we believe they're a good person. What you believe 
matters. Your belief is the engine behind every single action you take. So my question for each person in this room tonight is, what do you believe? What do you believe? Because here's what I do know. I know when I talk to a room like this, on a service like this, I know I'm talking to some people who you've been loving, serving, going to church, loving Jesus for longer than I've been alive. Doesn't take much. But I also know that there are people in this room that maybe you don't believe. He's not in this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're here because the person next to you does and they want you to be here with you. I know in this room there's a wide spectrum of people who believe this or believe that and I know that very full well. But that's why I'm so excited about the Christmas story because the same thing happened in the Christmas story. Mary believed. Her fiance, Joseph, wasn't in the same belief quite yet. But what happens is God meets them both. He meets them exactly where they are. So, what do you believe? Do you believe that you're loved regardless of what's been spoken over you? Do you believe that God's not some far off, distant God that's waiting to strike you down and let you know all the things you did wrong? Or do you believe in the risen Christ, the God that's real, the God that is near to you, the God that knows the number of hairs on your head and knows the thoughts in your brain before you even think them? Do you believe? Do you believe that God is able to do infinitely more than all we ask or imagine, that God is farther ahead of us, making way, making room for us to grow in our faith, to grow in who we are as people? Do you believe that there is a God who's fighting for you when you're too weak to fight? Do you believe that your life is full of purpose and not full of shame? Do you believe that there is a purpose and a reason that you are here on this planet right here right now? Do you believe that your circumstances are not a prison in which you have to live in, but there are an opportunity for you to grow outside of that. Do you believe that there is hope for tomorrow, regardless of what your today is or what your yesterday brought? Do you believe? Because that question is the question I see all throughout the Christmas story. Do you believe? See, I know you might have doubts. I have doubts sometimes, but God works best in doubts because he's able to answer our questions. He's able to prove us wrong. Mary had questions. The angel answered them. Joseph had plans. God changed them. The shepherds were busy. He intervened. The magi were intellectual, and guess where he met them? In their study. God's bigger than your agenda, and God's bigger than what our small box might involve but that is the magic of christmas is that there is joy in believing there is a joy to having this belief because when you believe for a greater tomorrow there's joy in today and when you believe that there's hope to be had you can have joy while you wait in the meantime 
See, I know you might be looking for God to meet you like he did for Mary or Joseph or the shepherds or the magi. You might be going, yeah, I, I want to believe, Derek, I do. But I just can't wrap my head around it. I need a sign. And that's why Christmas is special. Because he gave us a sign. And it sat in that manger. Because the power of Jesus, the power of Christmas, is that God sent his son in the most humblest of circumstances to prove that anything is possible. And to prove that the reason he did it is not just to do it, but the reason he did it is because he knows when he sent his son to that manger, that boy would grow up to take that cross. And when that cross happened and he died on that cross, he took our shame, he took our sin of the past, of the present, and of the future. And what that means is that we are only ever one step away from being close to God again. You can screw up. You can mess up. You can do the wrong thing. You can run away from God. But the message of the cross is that it's only one step away from you saying, Jesus, I believe and I want to be close to you. And it started in Bethlehem with a little baby who was born. There is a joy to believing because believing doesn't always happen overnight. But the powerful thing about belief is that it always comes to fruition. Romans 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and what? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. I know belief is hard. And I know there are moments God feels far off and there are moments when God feels close. But I get so much life out of that. Because you don't have to feel it to believe. You just have to choose to believe. I can only imagine the moments where maybe Mary or Joseph doubted, but they chose to believe because of how God met them months ago. And they chose to continue to step out in faith. See, I believe that there's a purpose to your life. I believe that there's forgiveness and redemption for you wherever you're at tonight, regardless of your life. I believe that your story isn't finished yet. And regardless of what your today has brought you, I believe there's a different tomorrow waiting for you if you choose it. There's a joy in belief. I believe these things because I believe in Jesus. My prayer is that you do too. I'm not on this stage because I just enjoy doing this. I do enjoy doing this. But I was in your exact seat 18, 10 years ago. Again, I can't math. When I was a teenager, I was in your shoes. I believed in God, kind of. But it wasn't until a moment that God met me personally and all of a sudden, the things that I really needed from God just started to happen. And the more I started to go after Jesus, the more I started to kind of open my heart to him, the more I saw him, the more I sensed him. And that's the cool thing about belief. Sometimes it starts out as just one little glimmer. The Magi followed one star for hundreds of miles, one little star. 
Step by step, they followed the star. But the closer they got, the brighter that light got. And the more you choose to believe, the more you take a step towards Jesus, the more there will be a sea of hope that washes over you. And the more you choose to believe, the more that belief will come naturally. So tonight, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your life has brought. But I choose to believe. And I believe that if you choose to believe, your circumstances might not change, but your perspective will. And you will walk through life with a different confidence because you know your confidence is not in yourself. It's in a God that's bigger, that's fighting for you and loves you. And it starts with professing with your mouth and believing in your heart that he's real. So tonight as an act of believing, if you would turn on your candles with me, don't burn yourself. And as we go into this last song, Let's declare this belief in the words we're singing. Let's choose to believe that Jesus is not done yet, that there are some great things waiting for us when we choose to believe. And as we sing, let us celebrate the joy in believing. Worship team, would you lead us? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.